0: mm <laughs> That's chirpybirdinc.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and today my guest is Cynthia Church, who's the Chief Strategy Officer of Zelth. Zelf is a digital health and data analytics company that's making a major difference for several health systems around the country. One way their technology makes a difference is in supporting expecting and new moms to use digital health tools. It's pretty cool stuff. And I'll let Cynthia do the explaining. So let's get to it. I am so happy to spend some time with you today and really have an opportunity to get to know you and get to know what it is that you do in the healthcare world. Would you mind taking a minute to introduce yourself and... And your piece of the health IT puzzle?
1: Sure. I am Cynthia Church, and I'm the Chief Strategy Officer of Zelf, which is a digital health platform that really helps doctors and caregivers get digital health tools into the hands of their patients in the most easily, easy
0: way possible. So I had the opportunity to listen a session at HIMSS where it was really talking about how effective the tool is. And it was really just talking about their like an organization's larger goals, and then they sprinkled it in how Zelth was essentially the way that they were able to achieve their goals. And it had to do with like patient education and using the portal and really just like empowering both the providers and the patients. Would you be able to kind of expand on that a little bit?
1: Sure. No, That's great that uh, that you were the, the hems and got to hear a bit about how ZELF works in context. It can be complicated to explain, which is a blessing and a curse, but isn't digital health complicated to explain in general? Like, what is it? Is it tools? Is it devices? Is it patient education? Is it sending out videos and PDFs? Like, what is it? And Zelf has the approach that really digital health is a way to help expand care to patients and expand access to patients and make it really easy for doctors to provide care to patients outside of that traditional episodic, like something's wrong, I need diagnosed, I need treated, hope I'm better. This is not the way that people like to be treated. You want a a long-term relationship, you want to be able to reach out to your doctor, to talk to your care team, to do all these things. And the digital tools are really the best way to do that. And if you think of it from that perspective, a digital ecosystem, which I kind of hate that word, but I can't think of a better shorthand for it, it requires more than just a point solution. So it's not like I just have a remote monitoring thing where I'm plugging a blood pressure cuff into the EHR and I'm keeping track of something. Like, that's great, but that's one thing. And it's not just... I'm sending out some emails or I'm sending out some alerts out of my EHR. It's it's how do all of these things work in concert with each other? And what the Zelf platform does is it, it does have the EHR integration. So it sits inside the user interface and it enables doctors to find and identify tools that they want to send to their patients from within that EHR charting interface. So, and we've got a rules engine, which I don't want to go too techy, but it only shows things that are relevant for the patient. So, if you have a 50-year-old man coming in, it's not going to show you maternity solutions. It's going to show you things that are relevant to to that guy. And and that's that's how we've been working with our our health systems. And it's not just about getting things out the door. I mean, we do that. And that's a really important problem to solve. But also knowing what's being used. So because we're sitting inside the core IT infrastructure, we can tell what's been sent, what's been opened, what are patients engaging with. We can bring that data back to the EHR. We can present dashboards from third-party vendors direct within the patient record so that people don't have to go back and forth. Like, what's my login to this other thing? And drill down through a bunch of patients to see what's going on. So we've really approached it of how do we make it super easy for patients? how do we make it super easy for doctors and how do we remove as much friction and as many barriers as we can to get things from doctors to patients and that information from the patients back to doctors to to really strengthen that doctor patient relationship
0: and i imagine what a lot of that is is you have information you have tools and then you're at, and a bunch of data and then you're asking questions of the data and then figuring out who needs what information and tools is that one way of thinking about it? I think that's one way of thinking about it. So, data obviously,
1: there's lots of different kinds of data. So, for what we're doing, we're trying to pull what the health system thinks is most relevant. So, we're actually trying to limit to some extent the level of data that's being passed through from one place to another so that we know, for instance, if there is a, if we're Sitting inside a sitting inside a, an EHR system, we're looking at some of the diagnosis information and some of the demographic information that we need in order to identify. So for instance, this patient is diagnosed as having diabetes and they're of this particular age range and the health system has said, if this happens, then can you please surface this particular solution? Or it could be something that's automated too. So like we might look at a scheduling feed, like if a patient has a visit that's scheduled for, X. Like, let's say patient is scheduled for a colonoscopy screening three days before, send them the reminder about their PrEP. Like those types of things.
0: Are you working with large, I imagine you're the backbone or sort of in working in sort of behind the scenes, but very much integrated into large healthcare organizations or health systems. You're working, were you working with payers also?
1: Originally, Zelf spun out of Providence. The original, the founding team is at a group of originally multimedia and consumer technology and cell phone experts. So they'd spent their careers thinking about how to, like, how to use consumer technology in a way that is that increases accessibility and you know works for everybody. So they took what they knew about those kinds of technologies and worked as executives and in residents inside Providence for a couple of years, and said, "Well, you know, everybody can do everything on their cell phone. Why can't they manage healthcare? Why isn't this better?" Okay, there's a portal, but the portal is only one thing. I mean, there's a whole. Everybody has a digital front door strategy. Well, what does that mean? That's a, there's only one door, isn't yeah? You know, what about the side door? And and how did they take what they knew and really leverage it to improve to improve the experience at Providence? When I was at UPMC, so I was there for a few years in the commercialization and innovation division, UPMC Enterprises, and I've deployed Zelth within UPMC to see what it could what could, it could achieve there. And I'm I'm suspecting that the Hims presentation that you went to would have been their maternity team talking about how it's really improved their engagement and their ability to engage with expecting moms. So that's been a real highlight for us because we've got data and information and experiences that go back a few years with that case study. But yes, it's mostly large IDNs, large academic medical centers. So of course, there's those two, but we've had success at Duke. We're at Mass General Brigham. We've uh, just closed our Series B and we've had um, investors come on ranging from Trinity to Stanford to to Navant. And and we're just mostly expanding into health systems that see that need to bring together an overall digital health strategy and move away from the individual point solutions into a consolidated approach to bring together the point solutions.
0: I, I love that. And you're right. It was that conversation around that the maternal case study. Can Do you have that in your brain? Is that something that you can synthesize for us? Or just like how effective it was for, you know, the maternity ward or, you know for sure, UPMC? Sure. So, yeah, having a bit
1: of an inside track on this one too, UPMC identified a while ago that expectant mothers were a really important patient population for them. One, because you know, moms, you know, maternity is a flagship service line for that particular institution, but also that moms are really engaged and really interested in getting a lot of information and will are receptive to information and are usually technologically savvy and are willing to use new tools and also, you know, you want to keep your moms engaged. Everyone in healthcare knows they're a really important population for the whole, you know, chief medical officer of the family, et cetera, et cetera. But what's the best way to effectively keep them, in, keep them informed, engaged, and on track? And UPMC said, well. We can actually send things to them digitally. It's like a crazy idea that we could enroll them in a maternity app that tracks their baby. So there's all the, there's tons of them on the on the app store or whatever already. But what about one that's actually endorsed by the university hospital that's got some researchers from the um, University of Pittsburgh had developed an app. They wanted to roll that out. So it's really a, a homegrown but very successful maternity app that's been been sent out to moms. And the idea was being able to track them and identify high-risk moms or identify a potential for an adverse event in advance and keep them connected and engaged with the health system throughout that entire journey all the way through to uh, the fourth trimester. I was always like, what's the fourth trimester? Okay, well, uh you know even those first few months immediately after the baby's born is another important time to you know keep mom reassured and keep the information flow and the channels open between her and her care team
0: yeah and it sounded that well it was really successful right and it has been really successful they've been able to like improve up upon it and whatnot
1: they have so the, there's just a, a visibility element to it which is the part that's hard to measure like we know that we get like 60 to 70 percent yeah open rates download rates of all the things that we send out I don't know how that compares to before because there's not a benchmark. So, you know, pre ZELF, what was the open rate? Well, we don't know. So, is, but I know from just general marketing statistics that any direct marketer is going to be over the moon with a 60 to 70% download and open rate. So, that's fantastic. Another client that's used ZELF to roll out a maternity solution, I said, it's there's two things to it there's a great provider productivity thing which is yeah, how many clicks does it take to get something out to a patient? And they put Zelf on an automated track. So every mom who was coming in for her second, a second prenatal appointment was automatically sent the information to enroll in and download their maternity program. And that way, the provider didn't even have to think about it. It just showed up. And they were, they were ecstatic about that. They said, this is amazing.
0: And I remember another part of the presentation where there's, you know, it's a, it can be very sensitive, especially if a mom loses the the baby. They have to be right. like, to automate to not continue sending information, right?
1: That is true. So the you know, prior to sending things out, and that goes into the, you know, the techie magic black box of of how much, you know, what do we check before you send something out to the expectant mom? You better make sure she's still expecting, because that could be pretty not a good thing to do. The other thing that we're seeing and and where we're moving to as well is trying to connect different third-party vendors to each other using that central hub that we have with the, the diagnosis information. It's not... I'd say it's not super complicated in concept, but it is in reality, which is, so for instance, let's say that somebody is on a pre-diabetes management program and they're supposed to take so many steps a day and then they end up going to the hospital because they sprained their ankle. Well, we need to tell the thing that's telling them to do your steps to stop telling them to do their steps because they're not going to be able to. So, And that type of coordination, are, we think, are opportunities for health systems to really engage with their patients and, and take a holistic view to their overall health and well-being, not just the episodic, You know, I'm treating you for one thing and someone else is treating you for something else and never the two shall meet. Well, this is a, an opportunity for care coordination in the digital world without having to, to tax overburdened you know, care managers with trying to figure out what's going on.
0: Well, that gets us into the whole interoperability conversation. And so is it technically like an API or is it like how much are you connecting and coordinating with third-party vendors?
1: Okay, so we have um, we have a, a suite of APIs that connect to the health system and then connect the health system to the third-party vendor. So and we sit in the middle as a pass-through for the majority of that that information that goes back and forth. Most of what we what our API does is enable the, the core functionality. Like if this happens, then order this solution. Bring this, this dashboard from the third-party vendor and put it back in an iframe inside the EHR. So it's all the connectivity goes through those proprietary APIs that we have. And then we also, I and mean, we use the the same tools that are freely available to everybody else. So the smart on smart on fire and you know other the, yeah your general HL7 feeds those kinds of things as a complement as well
0: i love it i love that like zelph is kind of stealth too in the sense that it's like there's all this stuff going on that is not necessarily e- anybody who is interacting or might not even know that they're interacting with your organization but it your Technology is making life easier for them.
1: On the provider side, like the individual healthcare provider, we would love for that to be the case. Like there's not a reason that necessarily that individual doctor needs to know everything that's going on behind the scenes, just that somewhere along the line, the ZELTH was configured inside their health system to make it easier to get the right solution to the right patient at the right time. But I also just for you know for clarity whatever we do is at the direction of the health system. So there aren't you know, magic, there's not you know, magic fairies that are sitting in a box making decisions by themselves. Everything is done at the direction of the health system, which the biggest challenge that I see around digital health isn't necessarily the technology, it's the decision making that goes into determining how to deploy that technology. So if I go back to the maternity example, okay, we want, we want to automatically send an invitation to enroll to every every expectant mother. Okay, not on her first visit, because on her first visit, we haven't determined whether, you know, what she wants to do. But on the second visit, we're, yeah, okay, that's fine. Well, do we want to send it to all moms? What if English isn't their first language? Do we have it in Spanish? Should we try to engage? Can we send an email in Spanish? Does the app come in Spanish? Would it, so, all of these kinds of questions. Do you want to send it to moms only over the age of 18? Is there a problem if it's under 18? Do we want to flag moms who are above 35? Is there, and all of those decisions. So, we spend, the majority of our time figuring out every deployment for our clients on which patient population do you want to engage and when and how are you going to know that they are engaged and what are you really trying to achieve with these people and how do we make sure that we do whatever we can do to help you achieve what your goals with this population and these clients. And Dr Grips.
0: Well so is that your specialty as the chief strategy officer is that where you're spend is that where you're spending your time and maybe can we talk a little bit about your career path and like what is your day-to-day job like
1: where I spend my time, yes, so that's the core business. So Zelf, yeah, the the you know, genesis. I talked about that consumer technology piece was how do we get inside the EHR to get inside the, you know, to get in the doctor's workflow so that it makes it easy for them to get solutions in the hands of patients? Like that's fundamentally. How do we do that? And then it's how do we do that in a way that makes sense given the incentive structures that are currently in place in healthcare? Like if I I could say a revolutionary statement, incentives make no sense. Yes, I don't think anybody thinks that the healthcare system is perfect for these things. So how do we work within the existing frameworks to do things that make both clinical sense and financial sense and operational and strategic for our health systems in a way that we can get at actually rewarded for what we're doing. And how do we use what you know, the tools that we have to enable our health systems to, to have better payer relationships? How can digital health help them in both a value-based care framework, which I'd love to see more of that, but I think we're still... Yeah, it's like we have one foot in the fee for service and one foot in value based, but we're still putting most of our body weight in the fee for service and keeping a toe on the value based. is is what it feels like. So, how can digital health work in a fee for service world that helps um, you know helps healthcare systems to be successful and to maintain those relationships with their patients? So that's what I spend a lot of my time thinking is. Let's look at the commercial realities of healthcare. And yes, we all want health equity and we all want access to care and we all want underserved communities to be able to get the care that they need. This is what we all want to do. But there's also a reality that right now we need to operate within the limitations of the current system, and figure out how to play by the rules that are in place today to be able to afford to be able to do all of things those things and to be able to leverage the tools that we have to do those things, as well as operate in our you know, our, our current framework. So I spend time I spend time thinking about that. Also, you mentioned payers before. And I'm spending spending quite a bit of time with other industry partners thinking about how do we actually use digital health to increase the payer-provider collaboration? I see there are There's multiple groups of payers. I can say, well, there's nationals and there's regionals and there's blues and there's these things and they all are viewing things slightly differently. But how do we impress upon the the payers the need for some of these tools and not overcomplicate it? So I had one situation where a, a payer was happy to fund a digital health solution for a hospital network, but couldn't decide how much it was worth because there wasn't enough longitudinal data. And this is one that I, I just find incredibly frustrating. Like, well, there's no longitudinal data because we don't have enough patients enrolled and we don't have enough patients enrolled because you're not funding the solution. So if you're going to reimburse for it, then we're going to get more people involved. And they're like, well, we don't know how much to reimburse. So will you agree that there's a value to this? Yes. Like, well, is it 15 bucks, 10 bucks, five bucks, somewhere? Well, we think it's probably around eight. said, so, okay, then why don't we just settle at seven and you're knowing you're, you know you win and that's better than what they have today. I'm like, no, we need something more precise than that. How can we break that loose and you know, bring more of that that payer-provider collaboration together?
0: That's got to be frustrating to be on the inside of that and know that like, hey, there's something that needs to be done. And if only we could do this and feeling like this, like stop and go, stop and go or not getting the traction that you'd like to see. Right. So, yeah.
1: So, the, so we don't get the traction that, we, that we'd that like to see. There are, I would say, there are you know, parts of, I, I do see kind of glimmers of hope. So especially where there are internal health plans and health systems sitting under the same roof where yes, they do run their businesses somewhat independently, but their incentives are aligned. So there are some interesting pilots going on in that area, but there's not been a whole lot of national, there's not really a national reimbursement framework for it. It goes back to the remote patient monitoring codes and you end up with I'm sorry, yeah, your eyes glaze over. It's like there's a CPT code that requires you to do something for 20 minutes, but you have to then record all this stuff. And like, okay, that's not going to work because this is not a time-based thing. This is either an outcome-based thing or a solution-based thing. It's it's going through that time service model, and and it. And I'm not sure until it breaks out of that, how it's going to get much traction.
0: Yeah, we've done a little bit of digging on the RPM side too. And there's even some like weird things around like who provides it, like who provides the monitoring? Is it something that can be automated or does it have to be a a human? And then the time associated with the interaction with the patient and it gets pretty convoluted pretty quickly. And You just think like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, how are we going to get to where we're trying to go?
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right, it's like here's a solution for behavioral health. Can't you just pay thirty bucks per member per month if they enroll it in this and be done and just assume it's good? Like the like, how can we make this? How, how can we remove the most like complication out of this?
0: Well, and I feel like maybe part of to your point of what you're saying is like a lot of the frustration or or the the holdup is where people have the argument of, well, this is how it's always been done. So we're trying to do something new, but it's never been done like this before. So how do we, you know, if there's no history and there's no data for something that's never been done, how do we decide to move forward? Right. Someone's
1: going to have to take a leap of faith and realize that it's that there are strategic reasons and it's just the right thing to do. That's what's going to happen, and we keep holding out hope that that will. I think that the the pandemic did unlock a lot around virtual care, but that's only one element of it. And we say, well, if there's if there's virtual care, and you've scheduled your your visit appointment and you've done, you figured out telemedicine. You've taught your patients how to use Zoom. That's awesome. How do you send them their after visit instructions? How do you send them anything else? All the the stuff that you used to get when you left, how do you make sure that those things are still received? What's the follow-up like? So what are all the support services that you have in an office that need to be also replicated in the home? Transition a little
0: bit to Mm -hmm. more about you. Did you know what you were going to do when you were Ten years old. And would ten year old you be super surprised with what you do for your career?
1: Oh, that is an excellent question. I want to use that when I interview candidates now. So can I can I steal that one? More than welcome to. Well, I don't know if ten-year-old, I think ten-year-old me wouldn't be would be somewhat surprised that in healthcare, but also wouldn't have imagined that. Yeah, ten-year-old me didn't know what the internet was because it didn't exist. So, so there's these these kinds of things. Now, my uh, my background has always been grounded in a sense of curiosity and thinking about you know why why are things the way they are and what can I do to try to make things better. And that's manifested through... I mean, I originally have a degree in journalism and then worked my way through a variety of PR, marketing, HR, strategy roles in a bunch of different industries. So from consumer goods to discount retail, and to financial services and asset management, and then over to healthcare... But throughout all of it, it's always been around storytelling and around thinking about how to connect the people and the concepts and the ideas that I have and that I know to try to drive something forward. That's been the common thread. I ended up at UPMC oh God, now nearly 10 years ago, after I had been... I'd been working internationally. So I'd been in Hong Kong doing marketing and and corporate communications and a bit of HR work for ING, which had been an international banking company. So UPMC is a little bit different than that across asset management. And that wrapped up and originally from near Pittsburgh. So had an opportunity to join their international services division and thought... Well, this is kind of cool. They've trying to bring the best of clinical, operational, strategic expertise to clients around the world, with this belief of expanding access to care in countries that wanted to, you know, to learn from the UPMC way of doing doing different things, like in particular oncology. But that's kind of a, a side note. But from there, I migrated over into their innovation and commercialization division and and was part of the original team of that, bringing together like different investments that they had, different investments they wanted to make in startup companies, innovation activities, and really with that idea of how do we try new things and what do we do internally versus what do we look at externally and how do we help bring these things together to improve the healthcare system. How I moved over there and then Zelf was an investment and I came over to here three years ago.
0: No, that makes plenty of sense. And so I can relate to a degree. I was an English major. And I feel Uh, like at the time, a lot of people were like, what are you going to do with that? I got a lot of that feedback just from adults that always surrounded me. But I really, truly feel like it helped me learn how to think there's really something around like understanding the different aspects of well for journalism too the the who what when where why right. and how and then being able to put all of that together and it's like understanding foreshadowing and conflict resolution and a story arc and whatnot and you're like you don't realize that that relates to everything and right <laughs> I
1: always I say the journalism degree isn't about being a writer it's about being nosy so, having it, you know, be, acting as a journalist is a license to just ask all kinds of questions and dig around and see what you can find out. And then to bring these things together and say, you know, something just doesn't add up here. I must be missing information. Why won't the payers fund digital health? You know, <laughs> it's the, you know, just constant uh, it, yeah, asking and, and digging and seeing what you can find out.
0: And I can see how that would directly lead to a career in strategy or strategy. Right. Yeah. Right. That makes a lot of
1: sense. And it's also strategy too. I think, you know, yes, there's the part where you do sort of put together a strategy, but it's the execution piece of it. I've always believed is more important than, well, as important as the actual vision. So the vision is something that the executive team, the CEO, the board has for the company. And the role of the strategy team is to translate that vision into a plan and execute against that plan. So in that, for me, is the storytelling like why would people from employees on the inside through to customers and and industry and why would anybody believe that we that we can do what we say we're going to do or that it's important how do we tell the story in a way that's compelling to all the audiences and then how do we unite everyone behind that story so that we can drive the company forward
0: I love all of that. My, I think my last question for you is really around advice you would give, and I try to envision maybe a college age student or somebody who's trying to figure out what to do with their life or career. What advice would you give, given where where you've been and where you sit now, that might help them either hopscotch some problem that you face? That's what I'm I'm all about. How do we get people to go farther, faster?
1: That's a good one too. I think that. you don't want to say never give up and be tenacious and all that, but more don't be shy. Don't be shy about asking people questions. So don't go to like, I can remember if I could talk to my 23 year old self, I went to a reception and met some, yeah, I was connected with some really important people and, and, they gave me their personal card and said, "Call me and we'll have coffee." And I didn't because I was shy. It's like I don't know what I'm going to talk to them about. They're like a senior executive, a big important company. Like I should have just called them and had coffee. They were offering, and I I was too, you know, insecure and shy at the time to be able to do it. So that's what what I would say. Take the. You know, use the network, ask people for coffee. Don't be shy about you know, finding out what you can find out and about stating what you want to do.
0: And even, okay, so imagine you're giving your 23-year-old self a pep talk, like you, would it just be like, even if you don't have anything to talk about, just go spend time with them. That might be the important piece, right? That's right. I would say, even if you get
1: there and they just ask them questions, I would say, you have a journalism degree, go interview them, ask them questions about themselves, just treat it like an interview. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that there's, I don't, I wish I had done more of that, The asking people for an informational interview, like that's one way of going about it of like, can I just ask you about your job and not with the intention of do you have a job for me or is there no like I'm like not actually seeking you know something in return other than information of like tell me about how you got to where you are kind of a deal.
1: Right right and most people are will happily happily share that information.
0: Yeah people love talking about themselves. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Well, Cynthia, it has been a real treat to get to know you and more about Zelf. So I appreciate you kind of digging deep into like what it's your offering is because it's very needed. And I I feel like I've probably interacted with it without even knowing. And I'm just happy that, that it exists and that your brain is one of the ones working to make it go. Well, thank you. It's not just my brain.
1: We have a fantastic executive team and product team and great engineers and overall one of the most wonderful places that I've ever worked.
0: That's amazing. Well, if somebody wanted to connect with you or follow you or work with you or your organization, what would be the best place for them to do so? They can find me on LinkedIn. Okay. Perfect. I'll include that in the show notes. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle Hit Like a Girl Pod. Thanks again. See you soon. like a girl podcast is a proud member of the health podcast network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, They've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com.